this month at Two Sober Chicks. Our speaker series podcast edition is really covering a lot of Celebrate the Morning speakers. We welcome another one. This is Daniel A. from Florida. I'm Daniel, a recovered alcoholic, and uh, and all I have is today. And uh, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And um, it's a uh, Mother's Day is always uh, you know a great day. Um, I'm married and have two children, so uh, you know we do things with my mother. I mean, my wife and I have my mother is here in the area too. Um, but something I always got to remember, and I'll I'll get back to this later, is that um, you know my first uh my first weekend in sobriety um was uh my mother had to come visit me in rehab about five hours away to drive and come see me and that's always a, a big reminder for me um on every mother's day so uh like i said um daniel recovered alcoholic and uh, my sobriety date is may the 6th of 2007. Um, my home group is celebrate the morning in celebration uh, florida i have a sponsor um, he has a sponsor as well. <laughs> um, and uh, I also have a, a service position in my home group. And, um, you know, for me, uh, childhood was uh, was pretty normal, as normal as whatever that word means anyway, um, as it can be. Um, I'm one of three children, the, the middle child, the only son, um, military family. Um, my father's retired army. But uh, as far as military families go, we ended up kind of staying in, in one place uh, for the most part. So I grew up in, um, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, um, was there when I was four years old um, until we went ahead and moved uh, to Florida two years ago. And, um, you know, uh, had a, moved a few places since Fredericksburg, but um, we'll, we'll get to that here shortly. <laughs> um, so growing up, um, you know, it was kind of um, a chameleon. Um, I would say uh, something that um, kind of uh, formed who I was. I know that, um, you know, with alcohol, alcoholism for me, um, a lot of it had to do with identity and knowing who I was or trying to find out who I was or hiding who I was. And um, for me, I remember something early on. Um, I'm half Dominican, half Puerto Rican. And um, our mother would uh, would let us go down to Dominican Republic. I used to say she would send us down, but now looking back, I realized she would let us go down there, you know, for most of the summer um, every year, just to kind of be around our family on the island. So uh, I remember, you know, being kind of like six or seven years old, speaking Spanish uh, to some of the kids that were there, and then I, I said something wrong or used, you know, just spoke weird in some type of way and everybody laughed and I remember just you no know, never trying to speak again and um I went through you know most of my life um not speaking Spanish until I met my wife um uh, about 11 years ago and uh, and and learning how to speak again and um you know rediscovering that part of myself connecting with my family a little bit more um and that's been you know the way God works in my recovery you know when I'm ready you know more is revealed and I'm able to go ahead and step into that, that step in that new part of my life. So that early on um, happened and, uh, you know, kind of changed me there. Um, I always, you know, grew up feeling, I always had a, 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 the ability to make friends. Um, and the reason why I always made friends is because I was going to be anything to anyone. 
Um, you know, I was a people pleaser. Um, if I knew what you liked, you know, I would do that. And um, I never thought I was a liar, but uh, you know, if I thought I was going to tell you something that you wouldn't like, then I wouldn't tell you the truth. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why, but I've, I've, I've always been like that. And uh, even today, sometimes it's a struggle uh, for me to, uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, but I, I like to say that I give myself opportunities to tell the truth. And um, I do that by going to meetings. I do that by talking with other alcoholics. Um, because what I normally do is, um, you know, I keep everyone at arm's length. And uh, when people talk to me, you know, I keep it surface and I'll just, you know, push you away or keep you there, you know, just close enough, but not too close. And, um, you know, if I talk long enough, the, the truth ends up coming out. And uh, so I got to give myself opportunities to be honest, especially with other alcoholics, um, because my life depends on it. So um, growing up, like I said, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, um, I uh, was one of those, uh, this generation that took the, the dare pledge, um, <laughs> for everyone that's familiar with that. Um, when I was 11 years old, you know, I signed this little thing saying I wouldn't drink or drug um, until drinking until I was legal and wouldn't drug at all. And, um, you know, for the most part, I didn't understand why people did. Um, I was uh, involved in the church, was raised Catholic and, um, you know, played basketball all the time. And that's really all I wanted to do. And um, ended up uh, having a friend that actually, oddly enough, transplanted from, from Florida up to Fredericksburg because he had gotten in trouble. And, um, you know, one day he asked me to, um, and I know this is an AA meeting, but, um, you know, drug substances are part of my story so I'll keep it brief um but it, it's uh he asked me to try something and um you know we ended up uh, going to his basement and um smoking something and everything changed for me um you know I knew exactly what everybody was talking about and it was all that I wanted to do from then on um I chased it relentlessly regardless of the consequences and the consequences for me um, you know, came early and often. Um, you know, I was a straight A student. At that point, school was very easy for me. I was missing school, you know, grades immediately dropped, um, getting in trouble at home, you know, didn't want to be around my family. And, um, you know, for the most part, Latinos, they're like, they're always just like jam packed together, you know, we're doing something, everybody's together you know, <laughs> doing it uh, to this day. If, I, if I'm in my house by myself, it's like too quiet. Like it's, it's it freaks me out a little bit. So, um, you know, and I immediately, like all these walls went up and God was, you know, he was pushed into the backseat of the car. Um, I remember that very quickly happening. And, um, you know, from then on, um, quickly behind that, that, that first substance, uh, there was a drink. And my drinking was different from the moment that I started it. Um, you know, I drank till all the alcohol was gone. Um, I drank it quickly. I drank more than anybody else. And, um, you know, at first it was something cool, <laughs> you know, um, something that other people um, looked at, um, you know, and give me some esteem. But, um, but I knew, I knew early on that uh, there was just something different about the way that I did it. And I, I started hiding early on um, with my drinking, the amount that I did, I would hang out with different people so I could drink as much as I want to without everybody knowing how much I actually did drink. And um, just more, more consequences. Um, ended up, um, you know, graduating high school and uh, my 
football coach who was also my, my chemistry teacher, um, you know, pulled me to the side and told me that, uh, you know, I graduated by the skin of my teeth. And I kind of laughed it off and he grabbed me, and goes, look, you barely graduated. <laughs> you need to get it together. Um, so, uh, you know, a few years later, um, continued drinking, um, you know, um, consequences, um, blacking out, you know, the incomprehensible demoralization um, that we experience, um, just the cycle, you know, always going on. Um, whenever my, my family would talk to me about my drinking, because it was an issue, whenever they talked to me about it, it, it was something that um, I didn't want to, you know, ever go ahead and speak about with them. It was a one word conversation. You know, Daniel, how's you drinking? And I always said, fine, and then got out of there. You know, it wasn't something I was willing to talk about because I knew that there was something there. So, um, you know, right before my 21st birthday, I ended up getting my first DUI. And um, at that point, uh, I knew, you know, there was something deeply wrong. I knew there was something different about my drinking, but I knew that there was something deeply wrong. And it wasn't because I got arrested, although that's, you know, not a great thing. But it was because of how I felt afterwards um, when I tried to the first I've tried to stop drinking before that. Um, there were a few times, even in high school, that I would like look at a calendar and I would say, like, you know, how long has it been where I've gone two or three days without drinking? And it was hard. It was hard to find, <laughs> you know, a good two or three day stretch where I hadn't drank. And, um, you know, after I got my first UI, I, uh, I wanted to jump out of my skin. Um, it was the most uncomfortable I felt in my entire life. Um, I couldn't sit still. It, you know, my mind was racing, heart was racing, sweating, you name it. And um, I ended up finding finally, um, you know, after, you know, about 48 hours of that, going to a corner store um, and getting some beer. And I just remember feeling so calm, just having it in the car, like before even opening the top, just having it in the car, knowing it was there, just that instant sense of ease and comfort um, that, that the book talks about. And, um, you know, from then on, just same, you know, revolving door, you know, getting uh, getting in trouble you know, calming down as much as possible on my drinking um, until the heat kind of went down and then, um, you know, then doing what I wanted to do. Um, I know for me, um, you know, it, I couldn't control and enjoy my drinking. If I was enjoying it, there was no control. If there was control, there was no enjoyment. Um, there were a few times that I drank, you know, just a few, um, you know, a few drinks, and I wasn't very, <laughs> I wasn't very happy about it. You know, the entire time I was just waiting to get out of there so I can go do what I really wanted to do. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, after I got that first DUI, um, I, I realized that, you know, wasn't drinking, wasn't the problem. Drinking and driving was the problem. So, uh, you know, I decided that I was going to not drink and drive. If I was going to be drinking, I was going to be stationary. So that worked for about four and a half years. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, right after my 25th birthday, um, I was uh, at home and um, drinking and a friend called me. Um, he was at this local bar and, uh, you know, told me I should come out. And I was like, no, nah, that's not a good idea. And then, you know, somehow it during the course of the conversation ended up being a good idea. So I ended up driving out there and. It was a work night. It was like in the middle of the week. It was like a Tuesday or something. And, um, you know, I was just saying I was just going to stop by there for one one drink. And then, you know, before I know it, we're shutting down the bar. 
And, um, you know, the bartender's coming to me with this bill of like, you know, eight Jaeger bombs that somebody drank. And I was like, who drank this? There's no way I drank it, which I did. And um, <laughs> and then uh, he's like, you know, you need to pay this bill. And I was like, there's no way that I'm paying this bill. He's like, well, I'm calling the police. And I was like, well, here's my card because I'm paying that bill and I'm getting out of here. So um, end up driving on the way home. And um, I don't know, I think I was looking at my phone or something I'm in the neighborhood of where I live. I'm in the neighborhood of my parents' house, who I'm living with at the time, you know, because my life is so manageable. Um, while I'm 25 and I uh, ended up driving into the ditch um, in the neighborhood. And so, uh, you know, I've heard people doing the smart thing when they're drinking and driving and crash and they leave their car and, uh, you know, and they call they call for help in the morning or they report the accident in the morning and say they're avoiding a deer or something like that. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do the smart thing that I heard people do. Um, and so I, I started walking away, you know, I was about 100 yards from the car. And then I remember that I had an open bottle of liquor in the trunk. And I was like, you know, in Virginia, if you have an open container in a car, you can get in trouble. So I might as well go ahead and get that out. You know, so when I call a tow truck, for me, whenever I called a tow truck, police would always show up. <laughs> so because there's always a single car accident whenever I called. So I was like, you know, when I call a tow truck, uh, there's going to be, you know, police coming. So I might as well get that bottle out of the car. So um, I go to the trunk of my little Corolla and, um, and I pull the bottle out. And as soon as I pick up the bottle, I was like, hmm. like instantly, I just like, I saw it and I was like, I need to drink this thing. And so I just turned it up, drank it and, um, and threw the bottle into the woods. And I was like, I'm gonna call a tow truck now. <laughs> so I called the tow truck then. And, you know, right, before, right after they came, the blue lights came just like the first time. And, um, you know, I was getting arrested for my second DUI within five years in, um, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which uh, is, you know, really not a good thing, not something that you want. So, uh, you know, after that, they took me to jail and, um, you know, my father was able to come bail me out um, after about a day and a half. And, um, you know, I, I told him that I never wanted to drink again. And I absolutely meant it. And, um, you know, and I was drunk within a week. And after that, you know, I knew, I knew that this thing had me and there was absolutely nothing that I could do about it. I hated alcohol at that point. You know, I hated what it was doing to me. Um, I hated what it was taking away from me. Um, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror anymore, you know, without some disgust. Um, and I couldn't stop. And I was just so mad at God. Um, you know, how could he make this broken person, I felt like, um, like I, I saw other people drinking, you know, and they could stop and they weren't having consequences. They weren't getting arrested. You know, they didn't have to go home and, and drink till they passed out every night. And um, but I just I couldn't stop. You know, I would wake up in the morning, you know, saying I wasn't going to drink that day. But for some reason, you know, four or five in the afternoon or, or some point, it just it seemed like, you know, a good idea. And then uh, and there I was again every night. So, um, you know, uh, um, my mom came to me and uh, she gave me this prayer, uh, the Divine Mercy Novena, and she came to me crying, asking me to pray it. So to appease her, I said I would. I started praying it every day. And then she asked me to, to try to check into a rehab. And so we called and, um, and the beds were full. <laughs> so, you know, I dodged that bullet. So I said I would go, but I didn't have to go, which is 
you know, the best thing for any alcoholic, you know, when you agree to something, you don't have to do it. That's the best. So, <laughs> um, but uh, they said they would call me when they had a bed available. So uh, they, they ended up calling me, you know, uh, a couple of days later and um, I was scheduled to go in um, in two days. So that was, uh, you know, I was May the 4th and I was going to be checking in on, um, on Sunday or on Monday, May the 7th. So uh, it was single in mile was Friday and uh, that Friday and I had to go, you know, get one last one in. Um, over at my friend's house. So that's the big joke. Um, people that know me, they usually call me on Cinco de Mayo, um, you know, <laughs> asking how I'm doing, making sure I'm not going out anywhere, um, you know, which it was never a big deal to me. It's another day to drink anyway. But um, so I go to my friend's house and, um, you know, just drinking over there. And uh, it's towards the end of the night. And um, I'm just trying to, you know, I always needed one more, always. And uh, I was seeing if anybody wanted to take a shot with me. Nobody did. So I ended up just, you know, drinking some shots by myself. And I remember clearly just pouring one out, drinking it and saying, you know, maybe one more, you know, one more and I'll be, you know, perfect. And uh, drinking another one. And I, I did it several times until it was lights out, you know, and I don't remember anything after that. And so I came to in the morning and I drove home and, um, got in the shower because I knew I was going to, you know, be checking into rehab the next day, just uh, thinking about how, what was the point of going to rehab? You know, it wasn't going to work for me. You know, I was one of those hopeless cases. Um, my insides hurt from drinking. Um, I felt like I'd done some damage to, <laughs> to some organs. Um, I thought I was going to die an alcoholic death uh, because I couldn't stop. And um, I, I, I couldn't see a life without alcohol. So um, like I had before, you know, I just broke down crying in the shower, angry at God again. And uh, I asked him to either, you know, remove drugs or alcohol out of my life or take my life. And I didn't care which one, but he just needed to show up. And he did. And um, I felt real calm after that. Went ahead and, uh, you know, went to sleep for a few hours and, uh, I haven't had to take a drink or a drug since. And that was um, May the 6th of 2007. And um, I went in uh, and checked into uh, Galax Life Center in Galax, Virginia. Uh, I was about five hours away from where I lived. And I uh, spent the week there. And then uh, the following weekend was uh, family visits. It was Mother's Day. <laughs> and uh, my mom and sister drove five hours to come see me on Sunday, Mother's Day. So it's always um, something I remember and think about, you know, every Mother's Day. And um, I remember uh, they had us like in these little family sessions and we could talk about, you know, our drinking and things. And uh, it was the first time I could I could actually talk about it. You know, it wasn't a secret anymore, even though it wasn't a secret before. Um, everybody knew what was going on. But uh, it didn't have the same hold on me that it did before. Uh, you know, the, the, the guilt and shame, there was still some there cause I hadn't worked in these steps. Uh, but it, like I said, it was just something I could talk about and I, it was impossible, impossible before for me to talk about it because I didn't want to give it up. You know, even though I hated it, I didn't know anything else. And, um, and I wanted to continue. I didn't want to give up all the fun <laughs> getting arrested, you know, all those other embarrassing things we do shoot. 
Um, I didn't want to give it all up. And, uh, and, you know, when I finally did, man, the release, you know, the weight that came off. Um, and I, and I know most people in this room know what I'm talking about. So anyway, was there for 28 days, um, ended up coming, uh, back home to Fredericksburg and, um, you know, as soon as I got back into town, um, they told me to go straight to a meeting, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to a meeting um, and, and go there and raise your hand, let them know that you're new and ask for help and get phone numbers. So I got dropped off on the corner and, um, you know, so if I went left, there was a liquor store up the street. Um, if I went right, it was old Shiloh Baptist Church um, that I could go to. And, uh, and I stood in that corner for a while. And um, I remember them saying that, you know, relapse uh, was a part of recovery, you know, that, um, <laughs> that it's a cycle and that, uh, you know, that it might happen. And, um, and I remember thinking that, uh, you know, I know exactly what happens when I drink, you know, nothing good, you know, nothing that I've seen um, that's worth anything happens whenever I drink or drug. Um, you know, I've seen had those moments of clarity when I wasn't drinking or had the thought of quitting drinking. And, um, and I just wanted a different life. So instead of doing what I wanted, I did what I was told. And, um, I went to the meeting and I raised my hand. I told them I was new and i um, got a bunch of phone numbers. Um, met a lot of people that end up, uh, that ended up changing my life. I'm there in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And, um, didn't have a license. I got uh, convicted of my uh, my second DUI within five years. Um, shortly after getting back, um, I was uh, arrested for my second DUI in March of 2007, and I didn't get sober until May. <laughs> and then I didn't go to court until July. Uh, so you know, I ended up going to uh, to jail um, after being two months sober, and. Um, it only I, man, I got I got off easy, um, really easy. I only had to do twenty days in jail, and um, the first ten days that I was in there, um, it was with people that I knew from high school. They were my cellies. <laughs> I was in there with so it was like camp to me. Um, the people that I was with there, and um, the first ten days, um, one of the guys that I was with was just getting drugs passed to him, um, left and right, and we were on lockdown for eighteen hours. And um, I remember just sitting there in the, in the cell, you know, having nothing to do. And I was like, you know, next time he gets something, I'm going to go ahead and ask him for something um, just to, you know, pass the time. Why not? You know, drugs weren't my problem. Alcohol was my problem. Right. So I can do that. That won't be an issue. And as soon as I had that thought, thought um, that I was going to go ahead and, and get something from him, um, you know, this little crackling voice came out over the intercom and it goes, Daniel Motivar, please collect all of your property. And like, they haven't said my name right since I'd been in there, you know, in the last 10 days, they're mispronouncing it every single way. Um, but as soon as I had that thought, you know, they got it right and they called me out um, and I had to pick up my stuff and I had to move me to a different part of the jail where I didn't see those people anymore, um, where I served out the last 10 days. And I still get chills just, just talking about it. God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, you know, moving me out of that situation and um, ended up doing the rest of the 10 days and, um, and getting out. And uh, just jumping into AA, um, I had my license taken away for two years, um, still made it to a meeting every day, you know, did the 90 and 90, um, 
got an early, you got a service position extremely early on, you know, no, no license, didn't matter, was able to go ahead and get there. And um, I was uh, sitting down, you know, having coffee with someone that was trying to get out of this service position, you know, this coffee position they were making uh, for the coffee they're making it for this meeting. And he told me that, uh, you know, this is a special meeting that um, anyone that does coffee at this meeting is guaranteed to stay sober. So, uh, you know, I was willing to, to take that that guarantee and um, and end up going with him to this meeting. Um, it was the Uptown meeting at St. George's Church. And the meeting started at 7.30 uh, p.m. on a Sunday, but you had to get there at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> to make the coffee and sit there quietly for a couple hours with Miss Vera, um, you know, while she read her Bible and um, and got the cookies and stuff ready. And um, so I remember going there for a month, you know, doing the coffee, setting up chairs. And then finally she gave me the nod that I was, you know, trained well enough that I could go ahead and do it by myself. And, um, you know, the meeting before the meeting um, and the meeting after the meeting have been, you know, the, the most important parts for me and, uh, and what I can learn, um, you know, the questions that I can ask people and, uh, and the knowledge that I can get from them and, uh, and the opportunities, like I talked about, to be honest, you know, to let people in, let them know what's really going on in my life and, um, and try to make some changes. So um, in that, uh, in that um, you know, early recovery, I had a uh, a temporary sponsor during that time, and uh, I had I'd gone to a couple AA meetings before I went into rehab just to kind of see you know what you people were doing, and um, I was going in you know just as the meeting had started, if not a little bit late, and as soon as the meeting ended, I would run for the door you know before anybody would get a chance to talk to me, and this one guy cornered me and said uh, you know if you if you really want to give this thing a try. Um, you know, here's my number. You can call me and I can be your sponsor or temporary sponsor if you ever need any help. So I actually called him before I got out of rehab because um, I was, you know, just scared enough to take a suggestion. And, um, you know, he ended up being my temporary sponsor when I got out of uh, the rehab and uh, early on sobriety. For about the first uh, nine months, he was my sponsor. And, uh, you know, it was awkward. <laughs> Every single conversation I had with him, you know, I don't think either one of us was comfortable, um, but he took me through the steps and um, and I'll be forever grateful for that. He was one of the most introverted people, persons that I've ever met. Um, he would he's sober 10 years and uh, some of the meetings we'd go to, he'd introduce himself and they'd be like, oh, hey, are you a newcomer to him? Uh, just because nobody knew him because he didn't speak up ever. But he would go out of his way um, to find out where people were going after the meeting, every meeting that he took me to. And um, and would let me tag along. Um, most people know me. I'm such a loud, you know, person. <laughs> um, you know, never quiet. You know, got something to say always. And um, and when I came to the meetings, man, I, I had no voice. Like I, I couldn't talk to people. Um, I would just stand next to people laughing so I could overhear what they were talking about because I wanted to laugh too. But I wouldn't involve myself in the conversation. And um, you know, this this shy, introverted guy you know, was, was coming out of his shell to drag me along, um, you know, so that I could be a part of and, uh, and be around other people. And I'll always be grateful for that. So, uh, you know, keep moving forward, um, going, uh, getting about a year sober at this point. And, um, and that's when I was told the real work starts. Because uh, up to this point, you know, a lot of people say the first year of sobriety is, is the hardest for them. And uh, man, 
first year of sobriety was the easiest for me, honestly, because just the, the bar was set so low. <laughs> Expectations were not very high for Daniel. And um, and uh, and he was able to meet those expectations. <laughs> so, uh, you know, after that first year is when uh, when the first when the real work started. And uh, a guy that passed away, Larry, he told me that now the real work starts. And um, got a, another service position. Had a friend, um, Joe, that was about my age. We're actually just, you know, a few months apart. We're both 25 um, sober. And um, he had a car and I didn't. And um, we had no lives, so we just went to meetings together <laughs> all the time, uh, you know, on the weekend, sometimes two or three, just because we had nowhere else to go. And I uh, know it was fun to us. And um, so we, uh, my, uh, my new sponsor at that point, um, I don't know if you guys were in the room, Danny called me Tiny Bubbles. And um, uh, right before uh, my, my new sponsor, I helped um, Joe and his friends, um, helped his sponsor move. And when I walked into the house, um, their sponsor goes, oh, hey, you're Bubbles, right? I was like, Bubbles, what the hell are you talking about? And um, so she said, you know, that that Bubbles, the big brown strong guy. <laughs> and I was like, what? Big, big strong brown guy? Where's this guy at? You know, I'll, I'll take that, you know, compliment right there. So uh, anyway, so that made me want to go ahead and look for this guy and find out who he was. I started stalking him. And uh, his name was Daniel. They called him Bubbles because of his bubbly personality. They're big on nicknames there. So, um, you know, my name's Daniel also. And um, he became my sponsor. So they started calling me Tiny Bubbles since he was Bubbles. So that's how that uh, that came along. And um, my son, they called Micro Bubbles. And my daughter, they called Bubblette. So <laughs> whenever I would always bring them around to meetings, um, you know, when we were back in Virginia. So. Uh, that's how all that started. So um, where's I going with that? Oh. Anyway, okay, yeah. So my new sponsor, Bubbles, he told me that I should go to this meeting, um, the donut meeting at uh, 8 a.m. on, well, it was 9 a.m. on Sundays at that point, um, over at this place called the Ice Park, because um, there was this guy, Big T, that was uh, doing uh, this, he did a biz long chip speech, and I should probably go hear it. So uh, me and Joe ended up getting ourselves together and rolling over there that meeting. And it was a big meeting. Um, it was about it was a speaker's meeting, but usually about 120, 130 people there every Sunday morning. Um, so we ended up going there and that place, man, you would have thought it was like a, it was just rowdy. You know, everybody was joking. It was loud when you got in there. So I was like, man, I love this place. <laughs> as soon as I got in there, you know, like people across the room yelling at each other, making fun of each other. Uh, it was amazing. So um, ended up sitting down there hearing a uh, big T's long speech. And um, what stuck out to me is what he said that, um, you know, nobody can tell you you're an alcoholic. Only you have to make that decision. You know, take a long look at your life. Look at all the good things that happen. Look at all the bad things that happen. And usually when something bad happened, you were under the influence of drugs or, or of alcohol or some mind altering drug. You have a problem, whether you want to admit it or not you have a problem. And, um, and uh, he ended up uh, later on, they announced that, uh, that there was a coffee position that was open there. And I still had the one at 730 on Sundays. Um, but Joe didn't have one. And, you know, he was like, Hey, you want to do this? I was like, you damn right. I want to do this. Like be here every Sunday, you know, and be part of the show. Yes. So um, they ended up giving us, you know, about a year sober, less than that. 
um, a key to this huge place called called the Ice Park. It's, the place was gigantic, um, and they end up, you know, no background check, nothing, you know, no last no last names, <laughs> giving us a key because we wanted to go ahead and make coffee, and uh, you know, we're making like I don't know, I guess two hundred cups of coffee every Sunday, um, getting this like. 200 I think like 150 chairs set up man it was on and then and there was like a like I said it was an ice park so they had um you know, the ice rinks that were out there and then we turned on the PA system one morning and like we're getting on the PA system like you know announcing ourselves out like we were on the starting team for the Fredericksburg Flyers just you know being young and stupid and um you know loved it loved it and um so uh, about 18 months uh, in, um, I got started, got a, res- a restricted license, so I could start driving myself around. And uh, Joe kind of uh, started not coming around as much and eventually drank um, and um, was never really able to come back and uh, maintain this type of sobriety he had. You know, he never able to get 18 months again. He got a few months here and there, um, but was never able to get uh, 18 months. And, um, you know, I, at two years sober, uh, I'll say this part briefly. <laughs> At two years sober, I ended up um, meeting someone um, online and uh, told my sponsor that I was going to move across the country from Virginia to to, to Arizona uh, to go be with this person. And I uh, said, you know, D, that's probably not a good idea. And um, I said, yeah, you're right but I'm going to move anyway. So, (laughs) so I moved uh, from Virginia to Arizona and, you know, ruined my life uh, for two years. And um, well, I'll I'll just say, I learned some lessons, you know, hard lessons um, during those two years, you know, um, I made someone else more important than the meetings and um, you know, my sanity and serenity suffered um, the consequences of that, you know, by the grace of God, I didn't drink. Um, but I, I certainly fantasize about driving my truck off a cliff, you know, more, more often than not. And, um, so when I came back, I was a uh, four year sober and Joe, uh, was still struggling and, um, probably about six months after I'd been back, um, he ended up taking his life. And, um, you know, I got to remember that there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, um, I don't know why. You know, I'm here and he's not. Um, I feel blessed, you know, for that. Um, you know, I, I I try to surround myself for people that sometimes know me better than I know myself. And I'm grateful for that. I think my sponsor is one of those people. You know, he sees uh he sees what's going on for me just from a you know a couple words in a conversation and uh and and doesn't hesitate to tell me the truth. And that's what I need. I need people that will tell me the truth despite my feelings. You know, am I, I'm, you know, I'm like Mr. Softy with that soft serve, uh, <laughs> soft serve ice cream, man. I am, uh, my feelings get hurt quick, you know, and I'm sensitive, but I, I need people to tell me the truth, uh, regardless. So, uh, moving forward from there, I'm about four years sober. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, was, uh, still in sobriety and, and, um, about to turn 30 at this point. So um, I'd been back from Arizona for about a year, um, was back with living at my parents again, <laughs> uh, about to turn 30. So, um, you know, I was just down in the dumps, feeling bad for myself. So feeling sorry for myself. So I was just going to sulk at home for my 30th birthday. 
And then uh, my mom said, you know what, let's go ahead and go up to New York. Let's go see your cousins up there. You know, we'll go to dinner for your birthday and we'll do something fun. And I was like, mm, very fine, I'll go and um, go up there and um, ended up uh, going out to this restaurant. And um, my wife was someone that the family had kind of tried to put me together with. She grew up with my cousins in Dominican Republic and they'd always tried to kind of put us together and it just never, timing never worked out. Um, and then on my 30th birthday, she on a whim um, decided to come out with one of my cousins and uh, we met on my birthday and have been together ever since. And um, she's never had to see me, you know, take a drink or a drug. Um, we have two beautiful children um, that are six and five. And, um, you know, God willing, they'll never have to see me take a drink or a drug as well. You know, but they have seen me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's what I have to be constantly on guard of today. You know, my attitude, um, how I treat the people closest to me is uh, a direct, you know, there's a direct correlation between my sobriety and how I treat those people that I love. And, um, and I need to be, you know, present and um, I need to be aware of that, um, that no matter how I feel, it doesn't give me the right to treat, you know, anybody less than like I love them, you know? So um, moving forward, you know, um, my wife met me and fell in love instantly. <laughs> Um, and, um, you know, she, we, I ended up, uh, we had a long distance relationship. She lived in the Bronx, New York, and I was in Virginia and I was heading up on, uh, on the buses up there, you know, every other weekend, every weekend that I could. And then we eventually ended up getting married and, uh, she moved down to Virginia and, um, we ended up, uh, you know, moving to Florida. Um, you know, just like I said, two years ago, um, after you know, our kids were still little, still are little now, I guess. Um, but, um, before I moved here, uh, it was, uh, it wasn't really, um, I wasn't really too emotional about it. I was like, yeah, you know, there, I was like, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to do it? How's it going to be? And, um, it really wasn't something that was on my mind. I didn't really didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And then, um, and my home group, uh, a guy, the guy that I knew and respected, he got a little emotional when, um, when he uh, talked about me moving, I was like, man, why is he, why is he getting emotional about me leaving? Like, <laughs> I, I just, it, was, it just caught me by surprise. And then that's when, that's when the emotions started to come out on me. And, um, you know, we moved down here and, uh, I don't know why I just felt like a, a you know, a, a little fish in a big pond, you know, cause I moved from a place where I knew everybody, um, growing up, um, I um, had a business that I was trying to restart, you know, when we re relocated down here and um, it just, it felt overwhelming. And, um, you know, I, I, all of a sudden we got here and I should be as happy as I could be. We just bought a brand new house, which I thought I would never be able to go ahead and do, you know, we were 15 minutes away from Disneyland, which, you know, we get to see fireworks, you know, every 15, you know, every night at nine o'clock, the fireworks are going off. And um, we get to see all that from our house. Like I sh it's a dream come true and I should be happy. And I was so miserable. Um, but uh, when I moved, the guys, um, you know, from back home, they told me, you know, as soon as you get there, you find a home group, you get a coffee position and you get a sponsor. So that's what I did. And um, I remember, um, you know, going to 
a meeting over at Polo Park. <laughs> and there's a couple of guys there. I ride a motorcycle. So there's another guy that rode a motorcycle that was there and uh, another older guy. And um, man, I was just all over the place emotionally. I'm just, I come in there, I'm just like, <laughs> boo-hooing. And, um, and they're like, what's wrong, man? You know, you knew the program. I'm like, so for a while, you know, like what's wrong? You know, your wife leave you, you know, like your dog died. What's going on? I was like, I moved from Virginia. <laughs> like <laughs> that's the only thing going wrong, you know, but it was the worst thing in the world to me for some reason, you know, and uh, you know, and they, and they took me under their wing and uh, you know, they, they said, Hey, I'm going to be here tomorrow. You know, why don't you come, why don't you come here tomorrow? And then we're going to be here the next day. So why don't you come on back the next day? And, um, you know, it allowed me to tag along with them for a while. And then I was able to, to, you know, get with a sponsor and, and, um, and, uh, and connect with my home group and start making coffee there, which, uh, I just gave away the coffee position <laughs> last week. So, you know, how those, uh, those service positions, you know, you get them and then they get you. So, and then you got to give them away. Um, you know, but I'm grateful for that. You know, I have the opportunity to be of service and, um, I'm, I'm the treasurer for the, uh, for that meeting now. So, you know, it's, Something um, that that bubbles my old sponsor put into me was, uh, you know, if you don't, if you're part of this program, you know, you got to be, you got to stop taking and start giving, and um, and you got to find something to do to be of service, no matter what that is. So, I still have the service position, and um, you know, just so grateful, so grateful uh, for this program, and um, you know, all the gifts that it that has given me and continues to give um, something uh, that the big T would always say whenever he would uh, give chips to people is, uh, you know, no matter how long it was, it doesn't matter if it was your 24 hour chip or if you're celebrating 24 years, he'd give you a hug and he'd say, keep coming back. It gets better. No matter how much you try to drink or drug or, or how, how you try to ruin your life. You know, if you don't drink or drug, your life will continue to get better. And that's been true. You know, it's not always perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as I stay in these rooms and uh, are, are willing to take some suggestions and uh, and do some work, you know, life continues to get better. And uh, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, these meetings still make sense to me today. Um, I, I understand that I am uh, I'm more dependent on these meetings and you people and these steps today than I was 16 years ago when I first walked into these rooms. Um, and the reason for that is that I have more to lose today. You know, um, if I was to go out and drink or drug, I know, you know, what I would be giving away. And, uh, and that's not worth it to me today. You know, even on my worst day, um, I have so much more today than I ever did then. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. And if I'm grateful for that, then it's going to require some work. And uh, and the work that I'm, I'm required to do, you know, it's it's harder thinking about it than it is actually doing it. <laughs> you know, uh, me worrying about it requires way more energy than actually doing it. And uh, and when I do the work, the benefit whew, far outweighs any type of effort that I have to put into it. And so. Um, I think with that, I'm kind of running out of steam. Um, you know, I'm just so grateful to be here and uh, and grateful for this opportunity. Stacy, thank you 
uh, for allowing me to come here. This group, thank you for allowing me to be here. And um, love you all. Thanks for letting me share. Now I know why we keep picking speakers from Celebrate the Morning in Florida. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. We hope that on Two Sober Chicks, you're enjoying this speaker series podcast, and we hope you'll come back again and join us. Till then, have a great 24.